Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Okay, if I told you guys you're about to meet someone who, before the age of 26, turned an idea he used to enter and win a college contest, turn that into a billion-dollar company, the logical question, right, would be, okay, what's the idea and how did he do that? You probably wouldn't be shocked, especially in this day and age, to hear that he started it in his, yeah, the proverbial parent's garage. But what will fascinate you? is the decision he did have to make before thousands of customers would eventually join a reservation list for the product he and his pals invented and isn't even quite ready yet. It's such a good story. Alex Rodriguez is the co-founder and CEO of Embark Technology. This is an autonomous truck driving software company that enables trucks or will enable eventually, right, 18-wheelers to zip around the country making hundreds of stops, including in snowstorms, all with no driver. So I've got to hear what he's all about, including why, when he's worth like half a billion dollars now, he still lives with roommates. Alex, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. You still live with roommates? Yeah, you know, uh, it's... uh it's it's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> Do you at least have your own bathroom? Because that's the thing with roommates, right? That's true. That's true. No, you definitely want to have your own bathroom. That's <laughs> that's critical. I was laughing as you were as you were doing the intro. Yeah. Um, because the the proverbial parents garage in this case, to be clear, is my parents garage. Right? <laughs> <I know. laughs> that's what's amazing. You know, the Google guys did the garage thing. Hey, Hewlett Packard back in the day, garage. Garages are good. They yep. have a lot of upside. They got some magic. <laughs> it's either the garage or the basement. I'm taking the garage because, you know, you could at least have some windows there. All right. So uh, let's let our listeners know you're the youngest CEO of a publicly traded company. And that actually happened just seven years after you and your pals began, what, tinkering in a garage to create something. I'm guessing you were a robotics kid. What what was that like as a child before we get to the garage and your college friends? I grew up in Calgary, Canada, uh, and I started building robots when I was 11 and all, all sorts of different kinds of robots. One, one story I think is pretty funny, actually, is one summer I wanted to build, this was long before we did anything to embark, I wanted to build a self-driving lawnmower. I was really excited about this concept. Why? So that uh, you didn't have to lawn, mow the lawn anymore? <laughs> Exactly. Hey, listen, right? necessity is the mother of invention, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my mom like toured me around Calgary, like, uh, you know, like Home Depot, like shops. Neither of us knew what we were doing, right? Like buying random parts. And I, I never did get that one off the ground. But later we did build a self-driving golf cart. And that was really the thing that, that initially kicked off Embark. Self-driving golf cart. How did you put that together? So the, a self-driving golf cart really has a few key components. Um, the first thing you need is a golf cart. And, <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> I would imagine. 
And so we went on Craigslist and we found the cheapest golf cart that was available in the city of Calgary. And we went, we, we bought that for like 1800 bucks or something like that. And then, uh, what we also needed was a computer. So we used my good college friends, uh, gaming computer, sort of like built a way to strap it into the golf cart. And then you need a, a way of seeing the world. We used something called a LIDAR, which we continue to use a lot uh, today at Embark and then a GPS. You kind of take those four mm-hmm. key pieces. There's obviously a lot more to it, but those are kind of the four key elements. And it actually, uh, because I built so many robot platforms before to go from buying the golf cart to the first time we had it in a field driving without anybody touching the steering wheel was probably about six weeks. That's fast. It was it. We called. So we, we talked to some of the people who ran there weren't a lot of self-driving companies at the time, but there were a couple. So this is uh, so 2015, talked, correct? 2015, that's right. Gotcha. So we, we talked to a bit later some of the people at Uber ATG, and they just thought that, which is Uber's self-driving effort, and they just thought that we were lying. Um, they like, couldn't believe that we'd done it as quickly as we had. Nice. Uh, <laughs> nice. These are kids in University of Waterloo kicking Uber's self-driving team. I love that. that's what focus will do for you you know Mm -hmm. and is this what you used to pitch to the startup competition in college the the competition this this idea where you got to enter into a contest yeah so we uh we so the we built the golf cart in summer of 2015 uh the very first money that we ever received from the outside uh, was from a competition called Velocity Fund that's put on by the University of Waterloo. And so our goals for the summer had been two things. We said we wanted to either win Velocity Fund, which is a, a $25,000 pitch competition, or we wanted to actually run the golf cart on public roads, and that would make it the first self-driving vehicle on public roads in Canada. And if we did either of those things, we would have been really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the course of the summer, we did both. All right. I love this story already. <laughs> See, to my listeners, I want I want you guys to understand. It almost feels like Alex, you guys were having fun doing it. <laughs> we were having a ton of fun. Okay. Um, I think we. I, I mean, you heard right. I started competition robots, building stuff from when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and we were much more building the golf cart because we thought it was incredibly cool technology and it was fun. Uh, that was by far the overwhelming like motivation versus like winning a pitch competition. And you won. We did win. What did you win? How much? <laughs> well, it turns out that actually winning a pitch competition is just the, the, you win the opportunity to, to keep doing it. Uh, so we won, you know, uh, we actually won a couple different prizes. So we, we took home $35,000 and then, uh, and then we went back to school. So then we did one more term of school, but basically from the moment that we ran it on public roads the first time, we knew we had something special and we knew because we were pretty early in our college career that we were going to have to drop out if we wanted to make it a business. So that winter we dropped out and moved to San Francisco. So that was the big decision. Uh, how long did you mull it? How long did you sort of toss around the pros and cons of leaving university? It was probably about two weeks, if I remember. So it, it started out. It started out as a joke, basically. Uh, I remember joking. Um, so there's this there's this startup incubator called Y Combinator. Sure, it's very very well known. Oh yes. Um, all the all the people in engineering at Waterloo all read like all the Y Combinator like message boards. Um, 
it's called Hacker News. Uh, and so we knew about it. And this is like the place that you go if you're really successful. This is me talking like as a college kid, right? Um, and the joke was, you know, I bet if like we actually did the things we said we were going to do, that would get us into Y Combinator. And then ha ha ha. And then like a, a, you know, a little bit later, we started to think, you know, actually, I think that's probably right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and let me stop you here. This is more of a, man, if you can dream it, you can do it. You guys are just sitting there saying, let's, let's do this. And then you did it and it worked. I think the, uh, one of the cool insights for me was, you know, I often talk to young founders nowadays and they ask like, how do you know whether it's the right time to do something? And, uh, one of the insights in my mind is, uh, if you can close your eyes and you can imagine what the steps are required to do the thing you want to do, and you can't figure out why it wouldn't be possible, then you're in a pretty good shape to do it. And that was basically how we, how we approached it. We built a lot of robots. I probably built more robots before I turned 18 than most people who do robotics professionally will Mm. in their career. Um, And so we'd done a lot of this and we had a sense, like, I don't see why it wouldn't work. We actually had professors tell us, no way you guys are at the time, first year college students, uh, you know, like maybe join my robotics club and I'll teach you up some stuff. And then two or three years from now, you might be able to do something like this. Uh, and we were just like, no, I'm pretty sure I know what I need to do. <laughs> no, I'm good. We're good. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. As you're tooling around in the self-driving golf cart. Yeah, that was fun. A good vehicle. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, so you get to San Francisco. I mean, those are expensive apartments. I mean, how did you kind of find your way through life. I went to Berkeley. I could not afford anything even across the Bay Bridge. <laughs> well, we uh, uh, we took a, a piece of the money that we won and we used it to rent a four-bedroom house with a garage. Uh, and so the, the, at this point, there were four of us working on it. Okay. Uh, and uh, we, we slept 
in the same house that we, we did all our work in. And then we had the garage attached, which is where we kept uh, the second generation self-driving vehicle. Uh, and so you kind of, you know, you, you packed it all together and we worked just unbelievably hard. The, I actually remember the point, um, this would have been a couple of years later, but I remember the point that people first started to like not come in every single day of the weekend. And I remember feeling really bad. Like the first time I took a Saturday off. You slacker. <laughs> you slacker. Because <laughs> everyone else was still there, right? For for like for the first year of the company, there wasn't like a work week, right? You just lived and worked and built the thing and it was awesome. Well, this is what it takes, everyone. You know, people think that you're really going to make these big strides and you're going to reach the, the pinnacle of the success that you envision by working nine to five or, or maybe 50 hours a week. No, no. You know, you, you really have to make a quantum leap when it comes to effort. And, and so as you're doing this, you guys had originally sort of focused upon, I, I, I believe it was more like shuttles for college campuses, but that's right. Yeah. Which, we actually which got is, into Y Combinator with that. Okay. So that, that's doable. At what point did you switch to, wait a minute, let's go to 18 wheeler trucks? <laughs> so we spent a bunch of time and, and we found trucking as really the place that had that. Um, they had, there's this v- very heavy driver shortage that's driven by the demographics of the trucking industry. Oh, sure. We cover that every single week on Fox Business. There is a huge uh, yeah, I guess, shortage. I guess everyone knows this now. Back yes. in 2016, it was like a, a less known thing. But so it was already yes. happening back then? Yeah. So the, the people who are outside of logistics don't realize this, but the reason we have this shortage, yes, there are exacerbating factors around COVID, around supply chain, um, but it's been the seeds of this have been coming for a long time. Um, and the cause is that the driver population really isn't adding new young drivers. Mm-hmm. And so you have the same cohort of people getting older and older coming up towards retirement. And it's very hard for the trucking industry to hire young drivers because this you know millennial generation doesn't want to be away from home for weeks mm-hmm. at a time which is what it takes to be a long-haul driver. But the challenges uh, between shuttles and golf carts and this, as I say, quantum leap all the way to Peterbilt and Mack trucks is freeways, lane changes, uh, heavy-duty trucks, other cars driving across the country. You know, What was the biggest difficulty you had to overcome in developing the kind of software that would make that happen safely? Yeah, it's it, – I mean – one of the things that that I tell folks is that this is an industry that really depends a lot on time on target. Uh, you just need a lot of time to really deeply understand these problems. So we've been uh, we've been working on trucks now for six years, um, and I think we we are now getting a grasp of some of the interesting problems. Right. So we uh, we have this very unique technology called Vision Map Fusion, uh, and it's something that's um, totally proprietary to Embark. We have a, a patent pending for it. Um, and what this does is uh, we built a system that's able to understand the road in real time. And so instead of needing a map, which is what pretty much everybody else in the industry needs, we said, okay, highways are a bit more structured. Um, they also have a lot of construction. 
And so it's really important that we be able to adapt to the road as it as we drive. Um, and so uh, one of the things we had to do was build this technology, and it took years to build Vision Map Fusion and then the foundational technologies that it sits on top of. Um, and but it allows us to do things like uh, uh, this last winter uh, we performed uh, some of the first snow testing with a driverless truck. Uh, and we showed that Vision Map Fusion will allow us to operate in the future in uh, what we expect to be about 90% of snowy situations in the northern U.S. Really? Like blizzard conditions? or so it, it's, it's not today going to run in a blizzard. Right. Um, the capability level that we showed today uh, is that it can run when it can only see the road surface itself. Mm-hmm. The road has been cleared. Uh, or at least partially is basically what we saw. Um, And so I think that's a big step. There's definitely more steps to be made. We're not going to be running it in a blizzard uh, in the the near future anyway, but I do think we have the tools there to do it in the long term. You know, I I think about how you at a very young age uh, kind of did this on hyperspeed. As you say, you did it more quickly than what professors or, you know, the geniuses at Uber were trying to do. Uh, Waymo, I've covered Waymo. They're really far ahead in this. But one of the things that I talked to them about was how do you see through really bad weather? And another super young CEO, Austin Russell, has been on this podcast. He founded Luminar. He also dropped out of college. Yeah, Austin uh, and I are actually friends. I figure uh, you use his technology, the LIDAR, which for those of you who don't know, it means light detection and ra- and ranging, right? Yeah. That helps these cars and these vehicles see things so that they don't hit them. That's right. It, it gives you basically this 3D view of the world. Um, so like a camera is 2D, right? Whereas mm-hmm. LIDAR is 3D. And that's obviously hugely useful um, to be able to know where things are. Right. Oh, you guys are all too smart for me. You and Austin, I can't stand you. Um, I, I love you, but it drives me nuts here. Um, well, look, you made the right decision about dropping out because when Embark went public in November, you became, as we said, the youngest current CEO of a publicly traded company, $5 billion SPAC merger. I'm sure that was a great day. Now I need to get to reality. Uh, you are now facing what a lot of dot-com multimillionaires and billionaires faced back in 2000, right? The market implosion or a bubble bursting. We have had a very tough market right now, as we all know. Embark stock uh, has fallen dramatically like everything else out there. Market cap chopped in half. Now you're the CEO. You have to face investors. What's that like? Yeah, I think what we've seen here we really try and separate out what Embark is doing from what the market is doing. Mm-hmm. Good, um, good, good, good. <laughs> but angry we, investors are angry investors. Yeah, I think when we take a look at how Embark has performed relative to peers over the course of the year, we've actually performed quite well. And so um, I think, you know, when I'm certainly when I'm talking to the team and we look at Embark setting up the milestones for the year, being able to hit those milestones, um, being able to perform well, relative to the rest of the industry. That said, I also tell the team, we don't have 100% control of the market. And we're in this for the long haul. Um, I think, no no pun intended, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no question that this technology deployed at scale is incredibly valuable. And so um, we have uh, an amazing group of long-term investors, folks like Sequoia, 
um, who are in it for the long haul with oh, us. They get, it. They get how long it takes to develop something like this. I mean, just look at Tesla. I think if, if, uh, if Sequoia has one regret historically, it's that uh, uh, they didn't stay in as long as they could have in companies like Google and Apple. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or, or Amazon. I mean, Amazon lost money for years and years and years. These things do take a long time, but if they are a piece of, of a real future, then I, I understand. Believe me, I've covered these things over and over. What I find very mature about you guys is that instead of taking the VC money and doing what a lot of dot-com companies did and made huge mistakes by building out way too nice headquarters, etc., you're not profligate with the money. In fact, you really only get a big salary bump if your stock goes to 20 bucks. I mean, meantime, it's below five at the moment. And instead, you're donating your salary, at least currently, as I understand it, to launch Little Robots. This is a grant fund dedicated to youth robotics and STEM education. But what I really found fascinating, listen to this, all of my listeners, right? You're picking as one of your companies that you are organizations that you will fund Afghan girls robotics team. How'd you find them? What's that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about little robots. Uh, uh, it's, um, it's a really unique thing to get to do. I kind of had this idea a, a little while back. Um, and I've been for a long time kind of, uh, thinking about what, what's the right way um, to say thank you to to all the people that helped me out when I was doing all these weird robotics projects when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought of a lot of different ways. Um, and then I think this was really the biggest one. It's like, these guys made a big impact on my life. Um, and uh, hopefully this can be an opportunity to make a big impact on other people's lives. And so I've actually known about the Afghan Girls Robotics team for a while. Um, I met uh, a number of international teams uh, when I was competing in first robotics when I was in high school, you go to the world championship, you meet all these teams. And I'd always been particularly impressed and inspired uh, by teams that in addition to having to build a robot Mm. had to go through so much more adversity um, to get there. Right. Had to travel far in the case of the Afghan girls robotics team, they had to deal with sort of a lot of cultural preconceptions in in their society. Um, And so I thought, uh, you know, that that's something that had inspired me. And uh, they're obviously, um, dealing with a particularly challenging situation in Afghanistan right now. Uh, and I think that uh, being able to continue educating young girls and women in edu- in uh, engineering is um, obviously oh, yes. hugely worthy. Well, I mean, I'm just interested because I've followed the, the horror of the Taliban and the gender apartheid and all of that for many decades. And uh, I mean, how many girls are in robotics in Afghanistan? Well, so actually, not 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 many. Certainly, not many right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that's actually maybe less well known is um, there are a lot of uh, Iranian female computer scientists. Uh, it's actually one of the like you kind of think of uh, like one of the areas that's done a really good job. Um, I don't know whether there are in Iran. Um, I, I, I don't know the little detail there, but right, right. certainly, um, I've met a, a bunch of really talented, uh, female engineers, um, out of the Middle East. And I certainly know that that, that potential is there. 
I, I know. It's it's just something that, that I think is really admirable that you are pushing and promoting and funding. All right. So my final question, what's it going to take for you to move into your own place? <laughs> no more roommates. Or do you just love that culture? No, I, yeah, I, 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 did, I don't see it. I like, uh, I, I like having people to, to say hello to in the morning. <laughs> and you know? to spitball ideas with, right? That's right. That's right. You gotta, you gotta keep that. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think it's uh, a long ways off. Boy, that's, that's <laughs> so Silicon Valley, that show Silicon yeah. Valley where they all were in the house. I love it. I love it. Listen, I, Alex- I still live with my co-founder. Oh, exactly. Sure. <laughs> okay. We'll see how the, the ladies like that as you as you get involved with it, you know, other people in your world. Either way, Alex, great to have you. Thank you for telling your story. It's inspirational, but it's also really substantive. And come on the, the show on television. We're Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, the Claim and Countdown, final hour of trade. We love these stories. There we go. Let's take you up on that. Thanks for having me. It was Alex fun. Rodriguez of Embark Technology. Good luck to you. And uh, yeah, who knows? If you can dream it, you can do it. One day you'll be driving on the road and seeing perhaps a gigantic 18-wheeler going right past you with no driver. Oh, that's going to be so interesting. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, you guys are amazing. When you listen to these stories and we hear from you, let us know what kind of stories you really love. It's just, it's just wonderful to have you. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.